So we've moved into March now, last month was February and the month of, of love, and we talked about what love has to do with it and looked at God's love for us and our love for God and, and how we can learn how to love others more and grow in our love for others. And, and this month, March, we're going to look at Easter, right? We're, we're, we're starting to build up towards Easter. And so naturally, we take time during this season of, of the year to focus on Jesus' life and crucifixion and resurrection. And we celebrate Easter remembering how Jesus overcame death to offer us new life through our belief in Him. And so we're going to take the next four weeks to do that. We're going to look at an overview of the life of Jesus. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate by looking at His resurrection and, and what that means to us and how He overcame death. And so we, we're going to have a wonderful time. In, in the middle of that, in three weeks, on March 25th, we have a couple missionaries, Brandon and Rachel Powell, who are missionaries to Thailand who are coming and are going to share with us that Sunday morning. So we're looking forward to hearing from them and their story and the call that God has placed on their heart to reach the people of Thailand. And as I mentioned in our announcements, I think we have a tremendous opportunity on Easter morning to make a big impact in our community, to reach out to the families and the children of our community through our Easter candy hunt. And I think I want to encourage you over the next few weeks, start thinking about who it is that you can invite to come to our candy hunt. I think the, the, the more ways we can get people onto our grounds, the more touches we can have with people, the more comfort they have, the more uh, open they feel to coming to church here. And so we want to just continue to share that love and, and creating opportunities to do that. And the Easter candy hunt is a wonderful way for us to create that opportunity for us to have the candy hunt and the gospel presentation and we'll have a time of refreshments before service. But this morning as we, we get into our series from death to life and looking at Jesus' life, I want to start this morning looking at Jesus' birth along with some different stories from his childhood. You might be wondering, why, why are we talking about Jesus' birth? And why are we talking about his childhood when Easter is about his crucifixion and resurrection? Well, I think if we don't look at the whole story of Jesus, we don't look at his whole life, we're not getting the whole picture of what Easter is really all about, about Jesus, what Jesus really did for us. And so over the next couple weeks, these are a few of the things we're going to be looking at. The miracles and temptations in Jesus' life. A night in the garden. We're going to look at the crucifixion in the tomb, and then finally we'll look at his resurrection and ascension, and how each of these different parts of Jesus' life, how all of these play together in our faith and our understanding of who He is. And so what makes this series so important? Why, why are we taking time to talk about this? Or maybe a better question is why do we focus every year on celebrating Jesus' birth and resurrection? Why do we celebrate Easter? Because the Apostle Paul in, in Corinthians tells us that this is the basis of our faith. For if we do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who was sacrificed to cleanse us of all of our sins before overcoming death and the grave, then our faith has no worth to it. And we have believed in vain, and are telling, what we're telling others is, is an incomplete truth. So everything we believe pivots on who Jesus is, on His sacrifice as our Messiah, as our Lord, as our Savior. We're going to start this series, as I said, by looking through Jesus' birth and some of the childhood stories.
from Scripture. Scripture prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah was going to be born to a virgin. When we look to Matthew 1, we find the beginning of Jesus' story as we see how Joseph and Mary react to the news that they're going to become the parents of the Messiah. Matthew 1, starting with verse 17. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Right, so this is where it all starts. We're talking about the, the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, to Mary and Joseph. And in the previous verse, in the beginning of, of chapter 1 of Matthew, they're listing the lineage of the family line of Jesus, from Abraham all the way down to Jesus. That spans thousands of years that occurred over the course of the Old Testament, which is amazing when you think about it. So, for one second, from Abraham down to the line you find the king of David. Fourteen generations from Abraham to David. And then 28 generations after King David comes Jesus. So 42 generations pass between Abraham and Jesus. Just to give you a little bit of an idea, if we were to take the average age expectancy in America today, which is 78.7 years, maybe a, a little bit less than that, and you span that out over 42 generations, that comes out to 3,305 years. 3,305 years. Or, for example, if Abraham was born this year, in 2018, it means that Jesus would have been born somewhere around the year, like 5,325. Right? So way down the road. And we know that those numbers aren't even exact because... Life expectancies have changed so much over time, right? In the Old Testament, they, they lived, some, many of them lived for over 500 years, some to 800 years. But I say all that just to, to bring up the point that God kept His truth, his, his promise, His word to Abraham that He would have descendants that were as numerous as the stars. That from His line would come the great Messiah, and even over the span of 42 generations, or 3,000, 4,000, maybe 5,000 years, between Abraham and the coming of Jesus, God kept His promise. He kept His word, the truth of what He said. And that's why I always 
like to share. If God has given you a promise or something God has shared with you, know that God will always keep His Word. God will always keep His Word. His promises are true. Now if we look at at Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1, we read, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Right? We, we, we all have heard the story of Jesus' birth and, and looked at, at how he was, he was placed in the manger because there was no room available for them at an inn everywhere. So we see that Joseph and Mary have been able to work through the process from being scared and not knowing what to do when the angel first visited them to knowing that, that this was something God had ordained. Right? When the angel came to Mary, she was scared, she was worried, she didn't know, but she said, God, I, I'm your servant. Whatever you would like me to do, I'll do. And the angel came to Joseph and, and calmed Joseph down and said, just so you know, what is placed inside of Mary is of the Holy Spirit. You are still to be with her and to marry her as you two are going to raise the Messiah. You are to name him Jesus. So they've worked through being scared and not knowing what to do. And they've, they've gone through the pregnancy and as, as a result of, of the census, they're forced to travel to Bethlehem because that's where Joseph's family comes from. But I find it really interesting that even from his birth, we see that Jesus couldn't even have a normal birth in the home of his parents, which was common in that day. Right? Jesus couldn't even have the normal, regular birth that was typical in that day of being born in their home. But due to a census, he ended up having to travel to Bethlehem where he was born in a manger. It almost seems as though God was setting the tone from the very start of Jesus' life that the events of Jesus' life and what is going to happen in his life is much different from many of the normal events that happen in everyone else's life. God was just kind of setting the tone right off the bat, like, Jesus, your life's going to be different than a normal life. There's going to be something different about the things that take place in your life, and that's starting with how you're brought into the world. One event that happened early in Jesus' life and this was a normal custom in that day and that time, was that you would bring a baby and you'd present them in the temple for purification rites, which was part of the law of Moses. It was part of the Old Testament covenant. And so Jesus, his parents, Mary and Joseph, they brought him to the temple to partake in, in, in this purification of bringing him before uh, one of, before Simeon in the temple. But what was different was the response of the man Simeon who was at the temple. This is what makes this different from all the other times that people would bring their children 
into the temple to be purified before the Lord. Luke 2.25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation for the Gentile, to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Right? So Simeon, he'd been told by the Holy Spirit that he was not going to die until the, the salvation, until the Lord Messiah was going to come, and he was going to see him before his time would come to an end. It doesn't tell us here necessarily how old Simeon was, but by his response, I would guess that maybe he was getting a little bit older and starting to think of, of if this was going to happen or not and wondering when the time might be. But as soon as he saw Jesus, he instantly recognized him and he began to pray out to God, praising him and thanking him for what he had done. It said, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all nations. He said that Jesus would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, meaning that through him all people, right, not just the Jews, but all people, would have the ability to come into relationship with him as well as bringing glory to the people of Israel. That's just one of the stories from Jesus' childhood. And there's not a lot that Scripture tells us about Jesus' childhood. There's a few things here and there. Another one of the stories that we're going to look at from Jesus' childhood comes on in Luke chapter 2, just a little bit further on than what we just read. But as he had grown to be a little bit older, there was a moment in time when Jesus was actually left by his parents in the temple in Jerusalem after the festival of the Passover. In Luke 2, let's start with verse 41. It said, Every year Jesus' parents went to Bethlehem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and 
man. So as I said, on a yearly basis, it was, it was custom for Mary and Joseph and, and many people, the Jews, to gather together in Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. They participated every year for a number of days. And this time, Jesus was thought to be about 12 years old when at the end of the festival, the Passover, Mary and Joseph and their relatives and family, they all began their journey back to Nazareth. But they actually left Jesus behind as they journeyed home. And after noticing that he was gone, they spent the next day trying to find him, as it said, amongst their friends and family who were with them. They were traveling together, but they weren't able to find him. They didn't know where he was. So they headed back to Jerusalem. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers. Not only listening to them, though, it said, but he was answering questions. And he was talking to them. He was dialoguing with them. He was having conversation with the teachers. They were amazed and astonished with all that Jesus knew even as a young boy. They couldn't believe all that he knew, all that he had learned as such a young boy, the knowledge, the wisdom that he had. They were in disbelief. But my favorite part of this whole story is that Jesus responds to Mary by saying, Why were you searching for me? Mom, Mom, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I was in my father's house? Mom, I was in my father's house. Even as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus understood the concept that God was his father. That God was his true father. He knew that if he was going to accomplish all that God had sent him to do, that he needed to start learning and preparing from a very young age. We don't know a lot of the specifics, as I said, from Jesus' life, his childhood, and, and before his public ministry began around the age of 30. But we find in Scripture that he was constantly learning, that he was always seemed to be looking for wisdom, looking for knowledge, having conversations with teachers and leaders and others around him. He was preparing to do what God had sent him to to do, to be the Messiah, to be our Savior. Why? Because through all of life's experiences, through all that Jesus experienced, the stories we know and the things that we don't know that Scripture doesn't share with us, they shaped and molded Jesus into who He was to become. Just like in your life, your childhood memories, your experiences, the things that you've gone through in your life have shaped you and molded you into who you are into what God is trying to do in your life. Many of Jesus' early experiences, from his dedication at the temple with Simeon to the time that he spent in the temple courts in Jerusalem with the teachers, God was molding him into the man that he had sent him to earth to be. Even as the last passage from Luke 2 mentions in the final verse, it said that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And I believe that today God is asking us to continue to learn from the things that we've walked through in life, to learn from our experiences, to learn from those who are around us, from the teachers that are around us. And we will continue to, to, to understand God in a newer and a deeper way so that we can do all that God is asking and desiring of us to do.
as we're obedient to God, as we're obedient and we go through the different experiences and lights that come our way, God will continue to shape us and mold us into the individuals that He desires for us to be. Not only that, I believe that God will share His wisdom with us, that He will share His favor. His favor will be upon us as we're obedient to what God is asking us to do in our life. And as we share that love of God with others, with other individuals, not only will we find favor with God and blessing with God and wisdom with God, but I believe we can find favor with man. That we can find relationship with man. That we can have opportunities to develop those, those relationships with people around us in our community. When they sense the genuineness of our love, our desire and our, our care for them. Not, not that we're going out and trying to, to track them down and pull them into something saying this is the only way if you don't do this. There's only one option. But just simply sharing the love of Christ with them. Living the love of Christ that God has placed them. The same love that we've experienced. The same love that we continue to experience. Sharing that with other people. And through that I believe we will find favor with man. And God will give us the wisdom and the ability to speak with them. To help them through the situations that they're walking through in their life. And I know sometimes the experiences you've had, your, your past has been difficult. There's been challenges in it. And that's not easy in those moments. It's not easy in those seasons. But as we allow God to work through us, to, to help us through those seasons that are difficult, He's shaping us and molding us. He's using us to help minister to other people. People who have been through similar situations that we have been through. I know I've mentioned this multiple times in my time here, but part of my story is my brother passing away when I was 17 years old. And part of what God told me is He said, I'm going to use your pain for a purpose. I'm going to use the experience that you went through to help minister to other people. And there are multiple people God has brought along my path in the last almost 12 years now who have lost a sibling at a young age. And I'm able to minister to them. I'm able to share with them the love of Christ. I'm able to help them walk through that experience, that tragedy, that heartache that they're walking through in their life. Why? Because I've experienced it. Because I've been through that. And God uses that to help me minister to other people. And the same is true in your life. There's experiences that you have gone through. There's seasons you have gone through that God is saying, yes, those were difficult. Yes, those were hard. I helped you make it through it, but not only am I going to help you make it, you, did I not help you make it through it, I'm going to redeem that by ministering to other people through that experience, through that time in your life that you went through. People are, are, are going to look back on your story and they're going to see the way that my hand was upon you, the way that God helped and ministered to me and he can help and minister to you in the same way in your life. We've spent some time this morning looking at the birth of Jesus, looking at a few different stories from his childhood, and we're going to continue to work our way through this series 
over the next four weeks, as I said. Next week, we're going to look at the different miracles and temptations that happened during Jesus' life. Because I believe it's important that we understand the different things that Jesus went through. The different miracles that happened, but also the different temptations that Jesus faced. Just as you and I face temptation. I want to invite the worship team to come back up at this point. We're going to wrap up this morning with a time of prayer. Each and every week, we finish up our time with prayer and just an opportunity for people to receive prayer. So this morning, it doesn't have to pertain to what we talked about. It doesn't have to pertain to looking at Jesus' life or his childhood, but maybe, maybe it does. Maybe there's an experience. Maybe there's something that you're walking through right now that you're saying, God, I don't know what this season's all about. I don't know what good can come of it, but God, I'm going to trust you that there is good. I'm going to trust you that not only can you help me through it, but that you're going to redeem this for your glory, for your honor, that people are going to come to faith as a result of it. And so if, if that's something you'd like prayer for this morning, I want to encourage you to come forward and one of us leaders would love to pray with you or you can pray by yourself or maybe there's something else you'd like prayer for this morning. Whatever it may be, I want to encourage you this morning to come forward and want us to just sing through the bridge of that song. And as we sing through the bridge of that song, I want you to really believe and declare what we're singing, what we're saying, that there is no rival, that there is no equal, that there is no one that can stand against the name of Jesus. For He is the King of kings, Lord of Lords. And what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. desperate need of you. 
Do we humble ourselves enough to say that we can't do this on our own? That we know we can't do this on our own, but that we need you and we thank you for your son. We thank you for sending him. We thank you for the sacrifice that he made in giving up his life for ours to pay for our sins cleanse us, to wash us white as snow. Father, we thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to come to be alongside us, to guide us, to direct us, to give us discernment and wisdom and knowledge. Father, for the gifts of the Spirit, God, the way you empower, will you enable us? We thank you for that, Lord the way you equip us. God, we know that the things we've walked through in this life are preparing us for the things that are still to come. That you are shaping us, you are molding us. God, that you are forming us into the individuals that we are to become to do the work, God, that you have asked us to do. Just as Jesus noticed from a young age that you were his true father, that he needed he needed knowledge and wisdom and understanding. He needed to, to prepare and get ready to do the work he called him to. God, we do the same. We say, God, we understand we need your help. We need to continue to be prepared and equipped to do the work that you're asking us to do. So, Father, I pray you continue to do that through the work of your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for each and every person who's here this morning. God, I pray that as we go out today, God, that you would work through us in a mighty and a powerful way. That as we go forward in the name of Jesus, as we go forward with the love of Jesus, that we will find favor with man in the sense that they will be open to hearing the message, that they will be open to hearing, God, the good news of the gospel, of what you have done, not only in our lives, for what you desire to do in theirs. We thank you that your Holy Spirit goes before us and we pray for those opportunities. And we pray for the wisdom and the understanding and discernment of knowing what to say and what to do in those situations. God, we give you all praise and honor and glory for who you are. pray these things in Jesus' name as we go out now. Father, I pray you'd help each and every person to get home safe. Protect them on the road. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen.